Open your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to continue the story that we were talking about last week. And then there's another story the Lord showed me this morning, which, uh, which we may get into tonight, today, or we may not. Um, and, uh, but it's along the same lines. And while you're turning there, let me remind you what we're talking about. We've been talking really almost all year about growing up, growing up spiritually, growing up really in every way of life, but especially growing up spiritually. And our key scriptures are Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, uh, which near the end, I think it's the second to the last verse, says that we're no longer to be children. It talks about the process that God uses for helping us to grow and then he said, we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And we talked about the fact that, that one of the aspects of maturing, uh, one of the ways we mature is by taking God's word into us. Uh, I was sharing with somebody actually in the foyer that, has, that, that, that I had talked to a number of weeks ago, actually a couple of months ago, and, and um, they've been dealing with some issues. And what they've found is they can download off of iTunes the messages. And, and we're going to have them in video sometime soon. But now you can at least download the audio messages so that you can put them on. It's wonderful the things God's given to us. I mean, the devil takes them and uses them for his purposes, but there's still things we can use for God's purposes. I mean, can you imagine the generations that have gone on before us that, realize that they can carry 14, I've got like 15 translations of the Bible in just a PDA. I don't even have, you know, an iPhone. But something like that, you can carry those, the Word of God around. Well, now you can download messages onto them. And they've been listening to them over and over and over. And what it does, it strengthens you because you become saturated with the Word of God. I've begun to go back to do that again, that when I drive in the car, play it, CD, play it over, go to bed. I've got it listening in my ear. So then I talk to myself about it. And you saturate yourself with the Word of God. And what happens, it begins to become part of you, just like the food you eat begins to become... We won't go there. But you understand the process. It's the same process. And it, the wonderful thing about the body is, you know, you can, you, can, you can think you're doing one thing, but your body produces, you know, I, I'm, I'm really not eating that much extra. I'm, I don't eat that many desserts, but my body tells me what I'm doing. Okay, my body tells it, It's an accurate calculator. And in the same way, so is the strength of your spirit and the strength of your soul. And you only know that by when you've come into a trial or a test. And we've looked at James chapter 1. James says, the trying of your faith. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials or tests, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces something in you. What does it produce in you? Steadfastness. Steadfastness is the opposite of being blown around by every winter doctrine. We saw that, that, that one of the signs of, the, of my need to mature is if something, either some circumstance happens or somebody looks at me the wrong way or somebody says something that even may be attacking me and it moves me, it, it gets me all upset when I'm trying to stand on God's word. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I'm walking out something God's given me to walk out, which is to grow up and mature as a Christian. And now somebody says something to me, and I got all mad and upset, and I just start saying things I know aren't true, and to just let my mouth run. Or some circumstance happens, and I've come out of church determined I'm going to walk trusting God, and now it feels as if everything's fallen apart, and yet God's word hasn't changed. And so that's, 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 being, that's being blown around by the circumstances. Then we saw over in James, he talks about that we, we are to come and ask God and he'll give us wisdom and he won't criticize us, he won't laugh at us, but he gives to all men generously. But the condition is you must ask in faith. No doubting. And that's the key. No doubting. 
because he says the one who doubts is like the wind, the, the sea that's tossed and blown around by the wind. We talked about what happens is, 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 is when we get moved by circumstances instead of moved by God's word. When we get moved... See, Romans 8 tells us that those of us that are children of God are led by His Spirit, not led by our circumstances. The, the children of God are led by His Spirit. The sons of God are led by His Spirit, directed by the Spirit of God. But until we've renewed our mind and matured, we're, we're, we spend so much of our time, of our, of our day and of our life, dealing with our senses, what we see, what we hear, what we feel. Right now in this room, for how many of you are in here, you're all having separate experiences. Some of you think it's cold, some of you think it's hot. Well, to you that think it's cold, it's cold. To you that think it's hot, it's hot. Some of you are seeing me very clearly and paying very close attention. Other you, of you are just going through the motion because you're here and you're looking at the pastor because that's what you're supposed to do, and you're, but your mind's somewhere else. So we're all having... I, I know. Because <laughs> I've been there. Okay. And so, you know, it, so we're... we're and, and, so my point is that, that, that all of us are having... We're spent so much time taking all this input into our senses. That's called sense knowledge. That it, we, we, we and spend so little time conscious and communicating with the spirit that lives inside of us that when a crisis comes, our mind just goes bananas, our senses scream at us when the spirit of God in us is trying to tell us what to do. So the time to learn to listen to the Spirit is when you're not in a crisis, not when you're in the middle of some torrential, some torrential rainstorm or thunderstorm. And so, so, but the point is, as we grow and mature, we're going to learn that we, we go immediately when something happens, what does God's Word say? Because my life is based on what God's Word says and doing what God's Word says. And if I'll do that, the circumstances ultimately cannot move me. And we've seen the Apostle Paul learn to do this. He didn't grow up and do this immediately as soon as he was saved. He grew up and he grew into it by dealing with the circumstances that came into his life, most of which were persecutions, many of which happened because he was doing what he was supposed to do. And we've shared several examples with you before. The the most powerful to me was, and I think it's Derby, where he goes in to preach the gospel in Derby. They don't like what he's saying, so they take him outside of the city and stone him to death. And he either was dead or everybody around him thought he was dead. And the brethren gather around him, pray for him, and he's raised up. And what does he do? He goes right back into the city. Why? The fact that they wanted to kill him and tried to kill him or did kill him didn't stop Paul. They couldn't stop him. Why? Because he'd matured through the things he'd gone through and become strong in faith and was not moved by the circumstances off of what God had called him to do. And in the day and age in which we are living, the church is going to have to grow to that point in order to be effective. Otherwise, what's going to happen is if the moment something goes wrong or unexpected, we're all going to panic. And if we panic, we're going to act just like the world. And understand, we're here for a reason. We're here to be a light shining in the darkness. That means there has to be darkness. So don't be surprised when things get dark. That's why the light's here. If everything were going to be light and obvious, they wouldn't need to have the light here. We could just go home to be with Him. But we're here because darkness is coming, and we're needed to shine the light. But we can't shine the light if we're panicking the darkness like the world is. So this is very important. 
And as I share with you a number of times, I really believed it's about a month ago that one Sunday morning I was getting ready, meditating on some of these scriptures. It was actually a Saturday afternoon. And I really felt God speak to me and say, this is what I want. This is what this church needs right now. So that's why I'm doing it Sunday morning and from a little different perspective, Wednesday night, because faith comes by hearing, not having heard. Hearing and hearing and hearing. I never tire of hearing of faith. I never tire of it. Why? Because it's what we breathe. It's what we live. It's what sustains us. It's how you're saved. Did I give you enough time to find Numbers 13? Okay. All right. We went back and we looked at, what, at this very principle that we, it's taking God's word and then learning to, base, to stand and act on God's word no matter what's going on around me. We looked back in Genesis chapter 3 and we saw the, we saw the trick of the enemy. We saw that what the very first thing he did when he came to challenge God's work here is his very first words to that woman was to challenge the words that God had said. God had said, you may eat of every tree in the garden except one. You may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the middle of the garden. And what's the very first thing that serpent does is he challenges God's word to, to, to Eve. He says, has God said? He's asking the question, getting her to question. Because the moment you question it, you begin to open the door to doubt. And all he needs to do is get a little seed of doubt in there because that seed of doubt, unless you get rid of it, will begin to grow and eventually produce that double-mindedness because James says that when we're double-minded, which means I believe what God's Word says, yes, but it doesn't feel like it's working. I believe what God's Word says, yeah, but look what this looks like. Everybody around me is falling apart. But that's double-mindedness. And he says, that, let that man not think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Not that God's angry. Not that God's saying, uh-uh, I'm taking my toys and go home. It's that we cannot receive because the only way we receive from God is by standing on his word and acting if his word's so. So if one moment I'm standing on his word and the next morning I let, minute I let go of his word and I'm moved by the circumstances, it's like planting a seed, watering it, and then ripping it up. You go plant it again, you water it, and you rip it up. You go plant it again, you water it, and you rip it up. Don't expect that seed to grow. The potential to grow is in it, but if you keep pulling it out of the ground where it needs to take root, you're going to kill it. You're going to stop the growth process. And that's what happens when we go back and forth between God's Word and the circumstances and God's Word and the circumstances. And, and, but the good news is we can grow out of that. And that's why God is working with us and helping us to know how to do that. So the first thing we looked at as we saw the device of the enemy is to simply to try to get you to doubt what God said to get you to doubt what God said. Once she doubted what God said, now he challenged what God said. He said, God lied to you, basically. You will not die if you eat that tree, eat of that tree. In other words, God lied to you. So if you open the door to doubt, the, that's not going to satisfy the enemy. That's going to whet his appetite. If you think by giving in to him, things are going to get better, Jesus tells us in John 10.10, the only reason he does anything in your life is to steal kill or destroy. Nowhere in there is to help you or your family. Steal, kill, or destroy. So when you recognize it's the enemy talking to you, you've got to stop and ask yourself this question. Do I want to be stolen from? Do I want to be killed? Or do I want my life destroyed? And if your answer to any one of those is no, then you don't want to listen to him. Because Jesus said that's the only reason he's talking to you. That's the only reason he talked to Eve. Then we began to look at some examples. Well, then we saw another example was Jesus. We saw Jesus in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 4 
where the, the Satan comes to challenge him. See, he'll challenge anybody. If he'll challenge the Son of God, why won't we think he'd challenge us? And he has no weapons that's different. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There is no temptation that he presents to us that's not common to man, that he hasn't used on everybody else. So the exact temptations he used on Jesus are the ones he's going to use on you. And, but Jesus models to us how to respond. So he came to him and he said, You know, if you're hungry, just use your power to turn this, these stones into bread. And Jesus said, It is written. Jesus didn't argue with him. Jesus didn't debate with him. Jesus didn't say, don't you know who I am? Jesus stood on what God had said, and that was it. He said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. And with the other two temptations, he did exactly the same thing. He didn't debate. He didn't argue. He didn't explain. He didn't get mad. He just went back to what his father had said and said, it is written. And the last verse of that temptation says, and Satan left him for another oppor- a more opportune time. That doesn't mean that means he came back again, but he had no answer to it is written. So now we begin to, in Numbers chapter 13. We're going to we're looking at a story of a people. We looked the last few weeks at, at Exodus chapter 14, which is the story of the children of Israel as they come out of Egypt and they come to the uh, to the um, to the to the sea, the Red Sea, and they see an obstacle to what so they've got to deal with what God has said I've given, I'm taking you into the wilderness to worship me. And there's an obstacle in the way that's telling them you're not going to make it. Not only that, there's Pharaoh's 600 chariots plus all the rest of his soldiers bearing down on them saying, not only are you not going to make it, you're going to be destroyed. And we saw last week that Moses made the choice to listen to what God said and not what that Red Sea told him. Because circumstances will talk to you. They'll tell you you can't make it. They'll tell you, I know that's what God says, but it won't work for you. They'll tell you, yes, I know that God's word says that by his stripes you're healed, but, no, but so-and-so, so-and-so tried that and died. Or it's never worked for you. It's never worked for you. Why? So don't try it. Don't stand on it. Don't trust God's word. You can trust God's word for some things, but you can't trust God's word for everything. If we can't trust God's word for everything, how do we know we're going to heaven? Because you've never been there and seen it. Even if you'd seen it, you don't have a ticket. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I could literally almost bet my life that no one in this room has actually physically been taken into heaven, seen what it was like, and then given a pass. And when you come back, just present this at the door, and St. Peter will let you in. Because without that pass in your hand, you've got to do this by faith. Because you haven't seen it, and even if you've seen it, you don't know you're going unless you go to God's Word that says if you put your faith in Christ, then His blood washed your sins away and He's given to you His righteousness and made you to be... That's because we believe what God has said. So if I can't believe what God said about anything, if there's one thing in God's Word that's not true, then that immediately puts in question everything God said because how do I know what's true and what's not true? Well, fortunately, it's all true. And it's been proven by time. Praise God. And it's been proven by your life as you see your life grow and change in Christ. So now in Numbers 13, let's take a look at this story. And we began to get into it last week. This is the story of the children of Israel. They've now come out. They've come through the the Red Sea. God brought them down out there to worship Him. He brought them down into the southern part of the the wilderness, which is what's 
for us as Saudi Arabia today, brought them down there to Mount Horeb. And, and, and at that point, God had a, had a meeting with them. They pulled back. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Their response to the Ten Commandments was to go violate the first one and build a golden calf. And then God... Uh, begins to provide food for them. He drops wa- uh, uh, bread for them, the, the dough to make bread in the morning. We've gone through and taught about all that before. And now he brings them up to about the end of that first year to a place called Kadesh Barnea, Barnea. And it is right on the southern edge of what is now Israel. And they come to that place and they decide that they want to send spies in to make sure that what God has told them is true. I'm going to say that again. They want to take, send spies in to make sure that what God told them is true. Now, I'm going to show you something because sometimes you can get confused with this. Chapter 13 begins by saying, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. But if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 22, you'll see in that account, it says they came to Moses and asked if they could send spies in. Well, how do you reconcile the two? Well, I've done a little study shows that if you go into the Hebrew, the Hebrew that's used here that says the Lord said, if you look at verse 2 in the Hebrew, it actually says the Lord said, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. So God, it was not God's idea to go check out what he said. That was what was in their heart, and God allowed them to do that. Understand this, God will meet with you where you are in your level of faith, but he will always do it in such a way as to challenge you to grow, just as we do with children when they're growing and maturing. So you've got a young child, you know, that's two years of age, that's, that's eating and beginning to walk and all those things, or maybe earlier than that, a year old or 18 months, beginning to walk, and we'll let them do it, and we knowing that they're going to stumble and fall. And we're there to pick them up, you know, kiss their boo-boo, and set them, give them confidence, you know, that's okay, you know, Johnny, you can do this, and you go along. But, you know, if they're 15, and they're still smearing food all over their face, you know, you deal with that a little differently. They need to have matured past that process, so you don't accept them where they are. You accept them where they should be, based on their, what they, what, 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 on their level of maturity of where they should be at their age. And God does that because God is a perfect parent. So he knows where you are. He knows exactly. Sometimes as natural parents, we have to kind of guess where they are. And sometimes it's trial and error. God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you can handle and exactly what you can handle. And God will always work with you about where, not where you think you are, not where you want others to think you are. He'll meet you where you are. And sometimes the first thing he's got to do is show you where you are, that you're not where you think you are. Sometimes you are actually stronger than you think you are. And sometimes we're not quite as far along as we'd like to think we are. But God will meet you where you are. And that's what he's doing with them, saying, okay, if you want to go verify what I've said, go ahead. And they come back. But they're, they're doing that, open them to a temptation that they were not prepared to handle or they did not handle and we're going to look at why. All right. So they send the spies in. Look at verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them. They brought back word to them. They've already heard God's word. 
God's word, and we don't have time to go back and show you, God's word have said, I have given this land to you, and it is a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, I have given this land to you. Not the Hittites or the Amorites or the Jebusites. I've given it to you. And this is what I provided for you in that land. All your needs are going to be met in this land. They have God's word on it. Now they have gone and with their senses, they've attempted to verify what God's word said. We're talking about not being moved off of what God has said about a situation by what our senses tell us. So they have God's word on this. Now they've gone to verify to themselves whether God's told them the truth. Because that's really what it is, isn't it? And they've gone to verify whether God's told them the truth by relying on what their senses tell them. And that's the issue here. And they bring back words. We're going to see whether their words, based on their senses, lines up with God's word about the situation. Because in every situation of your life, that's the decision you have to make. You have God's word. Now, if you don't know what God said about it, you've got a job in front of you. Your job is to go find out what God said about it. That's why it's so important to spend time every day in God's Word. Not just reading it, but studying it and meditating on it. Because while you're doing that, you're building in you a library, a a, a database of what God says about situations. So that when you're faced with a situation, and sometimes you don't have a lot of time to think about it, but the Holy Spirit in you goes down inside of you. and Remember jukeboxes? Some of you, most of us are old enough to remember jukeboxes. I'm not the only one here. I know I'm not. <laughs> and what would you do? You'd put the quarter in or whatever it was, and then you'd put, you know, J4. And you watch this arm go, and pulled out what your request was. Flip the 45 over and put it down. Some of you don't know what 45s are. Put the 45 down and begin to play your song. That's visually what the Holy Spirit does. You get a need, a demand's put on it, and you don't know what the you don't know what to pray. That's why Romans eight twenty six says, when we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit we we don't know the what to pray. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Because the next verse says, He prays according to the perfect will of God. He know He knows which record to pull out. And he'll play that record into you of what you need to know so you know what God's word. But he can't do that unless you put it in. I've been experiencing lately, especially as the anointing in some of these messages has been stronger and stronger. I'm, scriptures are coming out of me I haven't thought of in years. We came on Wednesday night and I was saying, you know, I'm remembering scriptures in the middle of a message that I know I have. If you'd asked me where is that, I would have had trouble telling you. But under the anointing, the Spirit of God goes... He pulls it out and flips it over and plays it. But he can't play a record that you haven't put in there. Because he's looking. It's empty. There's nothing in there. He wants to pull it out and play it for you, but there's nothing in there because you haven't put the record in. 
You haven't put the scripture in that he's going to draw on. So that time you spend in the morning, it's like, oh, why am I doing it? I'm not seeming to get in. You have no idea what you're putting into you that the spirit of God is going to pull and need for you in the future. So we're assuming that the records are in there. So there's something for him to pull up. Now, in every situation of life, you have a choice to make. Am I going to trust in what God says about that situation? Or am I going to go look for my own senses? Because your senses, in many cases, are going to contradict what God says. I want to read something to you. I, I just happened to turn to this this morning. And this was a devotional that I've used before. I can't get away from it for time. And, and, and Link is going to be so thrilled. It's my, my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. Because he reads this every day. And, and this is what I turn to this morning. You ready for this? Oh, this is so good. I'm <clears throat> called Sublime Intimacy. John eleven fourteen forty 40 says, Say I not unto you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Now listen to this. Every time you venture out in the life of faith, you will find something in your common sense circumstances that flatly contradicts your faith. Common sense is not faith. And faith is not common sense. Now, there's a place where you need common sense in business and things like that. But when it comes to what God said, you can't compare common sense. Why would you want something common when you have God's sense? Why would you want to trade in the glory of God's wisdom for common sense. So, common sense is not faith, and faith is not common sense. They stand in the relation of the natural to the spiritual. Can you trust Jesus Christ where your common sense cannot trust Him? Can you venture heroically on Jesus Christ's statements when the facts of your common sense life shout, it's a lie. On the mountain, it's easy to say, oh yes, I believe God can do it. In church, it's easy to say, when we're around others of like precious faith, oh, God can do it. When we finish praise and worship, it's easy to say, oh, God can do it. When we finished hearing a message on faith and hearing a tape on faith or CD on faith, oh, God can do it. But it's at 2 o'clock in the morning when you get the phone call. I remember a number of years ago, I'd gone in on a Friday. We're going to take our time going through this. I'm just going to follow the Spirit of God. So if we don't get through numbers, whatever it is, 13 today, I don't care. A few years ago, a couple in this church had had a baby, and the baby was, was not given a good report about survival. And I had gone in on a Friday afternoon and prayed with them and shared some testimonies about stories that I knew of people that had in similar situations. And because of what they said with their mouth, it changed what happened. They agreed with what God said about the situation and not with what the doctors. The doctors were not wrong. The doctor's diagnosis was in all likelihood true. But there's a higher truth that God has spoken over the situation. And I shared this testimony with him and went home. And at 1.30 on Sunday morning, and I'm preaching Sunday morning, 1.30 on Sunday morning, I hear the phone go off and I go out and the answering machine's on. 
And someone had called and left a message saying that this family had just gotten a call from the hospital that if that baby was dying and they better get in now if they wanted to see the baby alive. And I'm pacing the floor saying, Lord, what do I do? I mean, do I go down there? What do I do? And this voice starts screaming at me in my head. You just told them that that baby was going to live and not die. And now that baby's going to die. This voice was screaming at me. You, 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 and how are you, what are you going to look like? Well, it doesn't matter what I look like. What are they going to think? You've told them. You, you told them what God said about the situation. And now look what's going to happen. You've heard this report. The, we're not talking about their general practitioner. We're talking about specialists have said, it's too late, this baby's going to die. And I could feel myself beginning to go, it was like a threat. And then you're going to preach tomorrow. How are you going to stand in the pulpit when you've told a family Friday night that baby's going to live and tonight I've taken his life and tomorrow you've got to stand up and talk about faith to those people? How are you going to do that? And I, because it's 1.30 in the morning, and I, suddenly I realized, I know that voice. That's not God. And I began to walk back and forth and I said, you're a liar. That baby will live and not die. Now, did I feel that in my head? Absolutely. My head's going squirrely. But as I spoke that word out, that baby will live and not die, that my faith began to rise in my heart. I went down to the hospital. Through a miraculous set of circumstances, I was able to get in because there was nobody at the door to the ICU. That They were about to take that child to Boston. I still, all I had a chance was to take the parents and the grandparents' hands and just said, look, this is what God's spoken. That baby will agree. This is not the time to let your mouth run. This is not the time to, 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 to let down on what we declared we were going to stand on God's word. They told them that that baby probably would not survive the trip to Boston. But they put the baby in the ambulance, took the baby. And what happened is just the opposite. Because all the way to Boston, that baby got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And And that young man is strong and healthy, active member of our children's ministry today. I believe with all my heart what was spoken out of my mouth and then out of those parents' mouth determined whether that child lived or died. Because when we spoke what God said about it, we set ourselves in agreement. Everything in our senses was screaming at us. It, It won't work. I mean, the test results are there. Just look. And physically, the baby was going downhill. But God said. I know that's what the doctor said. But God said. I'm not disagreeing with the doctor. But it is written. Let me finish reading this to you. And this is the choice you have in every situation of life. It's easy on the mountain to say, oh yes, I believe God can do it. But you have to come down into the demon-possessed valley and meet with the facts. Listen carefully. Meet with the facts that laugh, ironically, at the whole of your mount of transfiguration belief. The devil will laugh at your faith. He laughed at Jesus' faith. He laughed at Eve's faith. Every time my program of belief is clear to my own mind, I come across something that contradicts it. Let me say I believe God will supply all my need and then let me run dry with no outlook and see whether I go through the trial of faith or whether I sink back to something lower. Faith, listen very carefully to this, must be tested because it can turn into personal possession 
only through conflict. What is your faith up against now? The test will either prove that your faith is right or it will destroy you. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. The final thing in confidence is Jesus. Believe steadfastly on him and all you come against will develop your faith. There is a continual testing in the life of faith and the last great test is death. May God keep us in fighting trim. Faith is unalterable trust in God. Trust that never dreams that he... I'll read this again. Trust which never dreams that he will not stand by us. Every day of your life, you face that decision. Let's continue to look at this people and see how they handled this. So what we've seen is they have God's word on it. What we've seen is they were not satisfied with what God said enough. So what they want to do is go send people in to verify whether God told them the truth or not. And now they come back. And that opening creates an opening that the enemy can work in. And they brought word to them. All the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Good so far. And this is what they told them. This is the word that they heard. So they got God's word and now they got the spies report. They told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. And it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. In other words, God told us the truth. I'm sure God felt better having heard that. Nevertheless, oh, here you go, nevertheless. The word nevertheless is a fancy word for but. (laughs) But, or nevertheless, always means what was just said, I'm about to take back. So if you like what was just said, and you hear nevertheless or but, stick your fingers in your ears, because you don't want to hear what's next. Now we're going to look later on at a good nevertheless, where, where the, there was a report that was bad, and someone stands and says, I know that's what my senses tell me, nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to do this. That's a good nevertheless. So buts are not necessarily wrong, you've got to know what went before the but, because that's going to tell you what's coming after. If what went before the but is, it is written, don't listen to what comes after. Because what comes after is designed to pull up what you believe. It's exactly what what the serpent did in the garden. I know God said it, but... And you'll, you'll hear this from people if you tune your ears into it. Yeah, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm believing God for that, but... You know, I mean, let's deal with what real life is. Real life, real life is His life. And it's far above the life of this world that has limitations. So, everything God said about this is true, nevertheless. The people who, verse 28, the people who dwell on the land are strong. I don't know how they know that. They only went and looked. They didn't go watch them work out at Gold's Gym. How do they know they're strong? Did they go feel their muscles? 
You understand, when you enter into the realm of your senses and your natural mind, you'll come away doing all kinds of, drawing all kinds of crazy things. Let me talk about connecting the dots. You know, our mind wants to form conclusions out of information without adequate information. You get a phone call from the doctor saying, we got your blood test in, I, I need to see you. And immediately, if you're in, you know, have a, you're, you, you, you know, oh my gosh. You know, I know, I better get my affairs in order, make sure my will signed, because by Tuesday I can see tubes coming out of me. It's incredible. I used to do that. I used to do that. That literally happened to me one time. I'd had a physical, and Friday afternoon I came home from work, and I, I turned on the message machine. It was 5.30, so it's too late to call the doctor back and find out what happened. And they just said, we'd like the doctor, would you call the office on Monday? All weekend, I'm tormented by these pictures in my mind. And I finally realized, I've got to get a grip on this. I can't do that. Because all it was was they wanted to retest something because they lost something. And I lived all weekend dealing with fear and terror of something that didn't exist. The only place that existed was between my, my ears. But it controlled me. Many of you are controlled by different types of fears. And that's a leash that the devil has on you. So you get on the mountain and you see what God says and you see what God wants you to do. And then what happens is he pulls the leash and now you feel like your knees are trembling and you find that you're over here. It's learning how to discern and how what to look at and what not to look at. And here we see people that are saying, yes, everything God said about it is true, but there are other people in the land. It was true there were other people in the land. Now they're drawing conclusions. They're connecting dots. And they're strong! Well, they're going to go on and share some other things. Verse 28, the people there are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw. What do you see with? Your eyes. In other words, our sense knowledge tells us this. We saw the descendants of Anak there. They were a, a race of people that were very large. They were considered giants. And the Amalekites dwell, and the Malachites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. I know they all dwell there, but God said. But God said. So God said one thing, and their senses are giving this information. All these people are dwelling there. But what is it God said? I'm giving you that land. So in order to give you the land, they're going to have to overcome the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Amalekites. But God said, I'm giving you the land. So God's going to have to overcome that for them. Now understand, they've already seen God perform ten dramatic miracles for them to get out of Egypt. They didn't think it was possible to get out of Egypt. But because God said, I'm taking you out, God performed ten mighty miracles. Then they get out to the Red Sea we talked about last week, and they've watched, they've watched with their senses God part the sea because their leader just held a rod up over it. They've walked across this sea with walls of water on both sides. See, God did it that way so it would get in their senses that He did this and nobody else. They're walking on dry land where there's been depths of water and on each side of them the water is walled up. When they get to the other side, 
the Egyptians come in after them, and God says Moses to hold his rod up again, and now God withdraws his wind, and the sea swallows up their enemy. So in one day, they've watched God part that sea, bring two to five million people across safely, and they've watched the mightiest army in the face of the earth swallow up in front of them, and they did nothing but do what God said to do. They've seen that. They've seen God come down on the mountain and visit with Moses in fire and thunder and lightning so that the ground shook. They've seen God now for for 11 months drop food every morning out of heaven and feed them. They've seen God trained, turn bitter water sweet. They've seen God take water out where there was none and bring it out of a rock. They've seen quail come where there was no quail. They've seen this day. So it's not like they're brand new baby believers. And yet they still chose to live by their senses. So they should have known by this point that even though there are other people living there, God said, I'm giving you. So it's God's problem what to do with them. Okay. Let's look what happens. So that's their report. Verse 30. Now there were two out of these 12 spies. Ten of them are giving this report. There are two others that went in. Joshua, who was Moses' assistant, and a gentleman, an older gentleman named Caleb. And let's see what Caleb has to say. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said... No, let us go up at once and take possession. Why? For we are well able to overcome it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, We are not able... Sounds like the devil, doesn't it? We're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel... Now, the New King James says a bad report. But if you look in literal translations, it's called an evil report. So we're seeing two reports here. They all saw the same thing. They've all heard the same thing. And there's two reports. There's the report of the ten spies based on what their senses tell them, saying, I know God said that, but it's not true because my senses tell me we can't do it even though God said we can. And we see God calls that an evil report. And then we see there's the report of the minority. And it is almost always the minority's report because the majority will almost always agree with their senses, because it's easier. The minority report says, I know they're there, but we are well able, because it is written, because God said. They gave the children of Israel an evil report which they spied out saying the land which we have gone into as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. I don't know how they know that unless they saw that happening. And all the people that we saw in them, I'm sure there's an exaggeration here, are of great stature. If you go back and study the Jebusites and the Hittites, you'll find out they were not. There was one group of people, the sons of Anak, that were. But now what's happening is they're exaggerating because this only exists in their mind. Yes, those people were there, but now they're drawing conclusions about it because they're relying on their senses and they're doing what Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 tells us not to do. They're leaning to their own understanding about something God said. 
And the result is when you lean to your own understanding, your mind will draw conclusions and create images and things that are not true at all. They start out with just facts. Yes, these people are there. Now they're drawing conclusions about the facts. They now see themselves in the hospital with tubes coming out of them. They have now formed pictures in their mind, which is called vision. They're now creating a vision for their future. But it's not the vision God had for them or the vision God told them. And you will follow the vision that you choose. Okay. We saw their giants, verse 33, the descendants of Anak. And we were like grasshoppers, some translations say small insects, in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, we went last week and we looked in Joshua chapter 2, and we saw that 40 years later, or 39 years later, when they actually get to go in, they send another group of spies in when the second generation gets there, and they meet this a prostitute named Rahab. And she's hiding them, these spies up on the roof of her house because they know some the, the people... Uh, leaders of the city know somebody's in there and she, while they're hiding him, she's telling him she says we don't understand why you didn't come 39 years earlier because we heard that you're the people that the, whole, the Lord God is with we heard he parted the Red Sea for you we heard that he defeated all these other enemies for you and we were inside this walled city that you were afraid of we were afraid of you but that's not what they thought see because they thought they were grasshoppers in the eyes of their enemy, the last part of that verse says, and so we were in our sight. And you will not act beyond what you see or how you see yourself. And the enemy understands that better than we do. And he'll work on your image of yourself to tear you down and tell you you're nothing, you're never going to amount to anything. This fear you've wrestled with your whole life, is going, you're, going to have to go, you're going to have to die with that fear, and that's an outright lie. You do not have to. You can choose to, but you do not have to. Because the Word of God says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a strong mind. That's what God has said about you. Now, if what you're experiencing doesn't line up with that, you can change what you're experiencing to line up with God's Word by renewing your mind to what God says about you. All right, let's, in the time we have, let's quickly get into the rest of this because I want to get to a point and then we can close off. So all the, verse chapter 14, all the congregation lifted their voices and cried and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against, now they're complaining, against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their face before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, those two spies that had gone with them, were among those who spied at the land, tore their clothes, so they did that. That was a way of showing your disdain and your upset in those days. Tore their clothes. Um, and they, verse 7, And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, say, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is ex- an exceeding good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Look how they see them. For they are our bread, and their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not 
Fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared at the tabernacle of the meeting before the children of Israel. And the Lord then goes to Moses. Look at God's reaction to all this is. Verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? God saw they're rejecting what he said as rejecting him. How long will this people reject me? How long will they not believe me with the signs that I have performed for them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, we can't go through all this. So Moses basically stands up to God and said, you can't do that. Because if you do that, what are the Egyptians going to think? That you could bring them out, but you couldn't get them into the promised land? And so God gives them another chance. But not another chance to go in. Now let's go down. Verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Notice. I have pardoned this people, Moses, according to what you've asked me to do. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land that I swore to their fathers, nor any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit within him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn away and move into the wilderness. In other words, turn around and go back. The people try to change their mind. The Lord spoke to Moses. Look, this is what I want you to see saying, verse 27, How long will I bear this evil generation who complains against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel made against me. Say to them, now look at this carefully, say to them, so God is saying to Moses, I want you to say to this people this, look at this, As I live, says the Lord, and we know He does always, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. I heard one teacher say, when God mentions your name and the word carcass in the same sentence, that's not good. But notice, as you have spoken, so will I do unto you. If we go back, and we don't have time to go through all this today, if we go back and we look at this story again of what brought them up to this place, because the question is, how do they get to this place? How do they get to this place? If you go back and look, every time there was an obstacle. When they were confronted with the Red Sea, what are the first words out of their mouth? Why did you bring us out here to die? When they got over there and their canteens ran out and they tasted the water and it was bitter, what was their first reaction? It wasn't to turn and say, well, we assume that if God's going to bring us out, He somehow is going to provide for us. No, their first reaction was to say, why did you bring us out here to die? 
Then as the situation came, got worse, other situations came up, they would say, it would have been better that you left us into Egypt than that we would die. And over and over again, what they said was going to happen to them is when they saw the adverse circumstances, is they were going to die in the wilderness. And we see here, and there are several other places where you can hear, God heard their complaint. And God said, all right, that's what you said is going to happen to you. Be it done unto you according to your words. And he withdrew. And that's what we're going to look at next week. When you see a report, what comes out of your mouth. See, when you have hit that crisis, what you're going to do in that, you have already prepared yourself for. By what you're doing in terms of what the records you're putting in you and the words our words are so much more important than we begin to understand. And I know there's teaching out there about confessions that people push to extremes. But it is from one end of my Bible to the other end of my Bible. From one end of my Bible to the other end of my Bible. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. And here's a classic example. What you said is what's going to happen. What I spoke over that baby and what those parents spoke over that baby, when the pressure came, I'm convinced, determined, what happened to that baby. Not because there's anything powerful, but the power is in agreeing with God's words. Every day of your week that's coming up, you're going to have an opportunity to either decide to stand on what your senses tell you or to stand on what God's Word tells you. And you may stumble and fall. And you may let, just lose it and fall apart. Get back up again and go back on. It's a learning process. Just like a child learns to walk. And how do they learn? They try something. They go a little faster than they're capable of. And what happens? They fall down. And the parent picks them up, dusts them off, kisses their boo-boo, and lets them start out again. And gradually, through that process of gaining the sense of balance, they get stronger, they get more balanced, and they get a, until they walk like you and I are able to walk. That's the process of maturing. But if you don't understand that process, if you don't take those trials and then exercise your faith the way Oswald Chambers talks about, the way we've seen the scriptures talk about, then your faith will not grow, and you will end up being double-minded. You believe God's word one day and you'll believe the circumstances when they speak louder to you. And you will limit the boundary within which God's able to work in your life and the, bound, the, the ways in which God's able to use you. Because as soon as the pressure comes on, you'll give in to the pressure and get off of God's word.